For most of us, becoming great at something requires a lot of effort. But there's some people, when you watch what they do, when you, you see someone playing a particular sport, you can't do anything but stand back and go, they were born for this, like the greatest basketball player in history. Michael Jordan would fly. It looked as though he was put on this earth to do just that. For some, it just seems innate. And you could say the same about the greatest person to ever walk the earth. Listen, Jesus was born to do one thing, and that was to save you and me. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. This week, we celebrate the Advent season by taking a closer look at the child whose life's purpose was to come and set us free, and why it still holds so much meaning for us today. As Charles Tapp shares his message, Born to Save. As we've come to the season of what we as Christians refer to as Advent, where we celebrate the birth of Jesus as he came into this world as a babe some 2,000 years ago, it provides us as 21st century Christians, that's you and me, as an opportunity to share in the ancient longing of the coming of the Messiah. But although we share in this longing, we do so with a supreme advantage. And that advantage is this, that we have the knowledge that Jesus has already come. And with this in mind, as we celebrate the first advent of Christ, it provides us with even greater hope and even greater anticipation that he who came as a babe will one day soon return as King of kings and Lord of lords. And I can't help but to echo the words and the sentiment of John the Revelator when he simply said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Don't you want Jesus to come? You know, as a child, I never thought I would ever feel that way because as a child, there's certain things that you want to do and accomplish in your life. But now I'm here and I'm telling you, if Jesus could come this afternoon, I would be happy for that. Because this world, and you know it and I know it, it's not getting any better, is it? It is falling apart at the seams. And if you're a Christian and you don't want Jesus to come soon, then I've got to question your veracity on that. Because every Christian now, young or old and in between, should be waiting, wanting, longing for the second advent of Jesus Christ. And that's why the celebration of the first advent, dear friends, is so important to us as believers because it, it gives and it provides strength and courage to our failing hearts in these trying and difficult times. As we await the event, they will change their human existence forever and ever and ever. And as we prepare to share today's Advent message for the season, I, I want us today to consider a passage that may not be what you would call an Advent passage. You may look at it as being somewhat unusual. 
It's the passage that we read earlier from our scripture reading, Galatians 4, 1 to 5. But before we look there, it would behoove us to go to Galatians chapter 3 and look at verses 23 to verse 29 to provide us with some much-needed context. Galatians chapter 3, verses 22 to verse 29. Look at what Paul says. He says, but the scripture has confined all under what? Sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. By the way, that's you and that's also me. Verse 23, but before faith came, he says we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Don't forget that point. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Verse 26, for you are all what? Sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ, Paul says, have now Put on Christ. Look at verse 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are what? Abraham's seed and heirs according, Paul says, to the promise. It would help us to note that Paul's letter to the believers at Galatia was for the purpose of reestablishing the authentic, genuine gospel in the hearts of those believers who were now replacing it with a counterfeit gospel. Paul had given them the gospel of Jesus Christ that they were saved by grace through their faith in him, but they were now being forced, many of them coerced, to go back to a way where they believed that their salvation was being tied to being under the law as a means for their salvation, which Paul refers to in the first chapter of Galatians in verse 7. He says, that's no gospel at all. It's not just a counterfeit gospel. He says, it's not even a gospel. Some theologians referred to what was going on at the Church of Galatia during this time as the Galatian crisis. And Paul here in his letter to the Church of Galatia in chapter 3 brings out three points that I want to share with you that we pulled from Galatians 3, 22 to 29. First of all, this, that the observance of the law that was given by Moses, which included the Ten Commandments, the ceremonial laws, the feasts, and all the rest, were not given to serve as a means of our salvation. Number two, that it is our faith in Christ and his atoning sacrifice that makes us all sons and daughters of God, including the Greeks, the Gentiles, the slaves, and Paul says, even the women even the women. Why would, he have to, why would he have to do that? Because in those days in the patriarchal society, if you were a woman, you were at the bottom of the totem pole. 
For any male Jew, when he would pray his morning prayers, would pray to God, my God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, that I was not born a slave, and that I was not born a woman. They were looked at as being the least of the least, and some of that is even in our society today. Sadly, some of that is even in the church today when women are viewed as second-class citizens. But Paul says, if you are in Christ, all are sons and daughters of God. Who says amen to that today? There are no least of these in the kingdom of God. And we need to be clear on this fact. Paul was not minimizing the law, but he wanted for us to understand and the believers in those days to come to grips with the fact of the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was never given as a means of one's salvation. But the purpose of the law of God was to reveal God's holy character. It was to distinguish his people from the rest of the people. It was to reveal the depth of humanity's sinfulness. As Paul says, I would not have known sin if it had not been for what? the law. You ever get pulled over for a traffic ticket? Be honest. We all have. I haven't had that happen to me lately. It's been a long time knock on wood. But I remember one day getting pulled over and the policeman told me, oh, I'm sorry, sir, you're going over the speed limit. And I'm saying, well, I don't see any signs here to say what the speed limit is, but then he reminded me of something I read in the, the manual the, that we learned to, to, to pass the test to get our license. He said, in a residential neighborhood, the speed limit is 25 miles per hour. He said, sir, are you in a residential neighborhood? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, that's why you're getting this ticket. If it were not for the law, I would not have known what? What breaking the law was. Paul said, that's the purpose of the law. James says the law is like a mirror. You put it up to your face, not to cleanse your face, but to show you where the defects are. We all have those defects in the morning when we get up where the white stuff is coming out of the, yeah. Okay. You see, but what was most important for these Galatian believers, most of whom were Gentiles, was they needed to understand that the law could not be kept perfectly and that this should urge them to accept one who had kept the law perfectly in life as well as in death. And that, dear friends, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. You and I will always fall short of keeping the law of God. We cannot keep it to be saved. Paul says the law is weak. It was never given for that point. But they needed to understand that there was one who kept the law in his life as well as in his death. And then when we have faith in that person, we can now receive salvation. That's the gospel. But as I was saying this morning, too many of us are schizophrenic Christians. Do you know what a schizophrenic Christian is? It's the Christian who says, yes, I'm saved by grace, but I have to keep the law to be saved as well. 
So they work hard at trying to keep the law to be saved. That's not the purpose of the law. Jesus made it clear that the keeping of the law is a byproduct of your relationship with me. For Jesus said, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments, keep my law, keep my words. But too many of us have put this yoke on believers and they become schizophrenic. Well, I'm saved by grace, but I've got to keep the law to be saved, but I'm saved by grace. But what if I don't keep the law to be saved? Many of us are going through that even to this very day. And because this was so deeply rooted in the minds of those believers at Galatia, Paul now decides to illustrate for them what exactly he means by this. And in Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Paul gives them this illustration. Look at what he says. He says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is the master of all. But is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Verse 3. Even so we, and the we he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles alike. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. What is Paul saying here? Paul is simply illustrating that their condition, trying to be receive salvation through the law instead of by the grace of God is like a son who is an heir of his father's fortune but because he has not reached the age to receive that fortune he is no better off than a slave who also has nothing and Paul is saying trying to be saved by keeping the law when you've got the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ, he says you're no better off than a slave, an heir whose father has a fortune for him, but you can't have it, so it's doing him no good at all. And here's Paul's point, and that's what it's like when you and I place ourselves under the law to be saved. It's like having a father who has a fortune. He's made you and I heirs, but we will never be able to access the gift that is ours. And in that regard, Paul says, we are no better than slaves. He says, you are under the bondage of the elements. And the elements Paul is talking about here are the elements of the Jewish law, the circumcision, the festivals, and all of the rest, thinking by observing them, they could have salvation. But as Paul says, it's really like having nothing at all. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Born to Save. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. 
Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, we're celebrating the Advent season by looking closer at the humble child whose life's purpose was to come and save humanity and set us free. As Charles Tapp continues with the rest of his message, Born to Save. Let's go to verses four and five of Galatians chapter four. As Paul continues, he says, but, now he's talking to them. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, here it is, born of a woman, born under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who are what? Under the law, that we might receive the adoption, not as slaves, but as sons. Please don't miss this. For Paul here is now building on what he said in verse 2 of Galatians 4. Finally, the heir has reached the age where he can now receive the inheritance that his father has for him. And that's what Paul is saying. Now that you have accepted Christ and your salvation through Christ, it has come in the fullness of time. You now have access to the very promise of salvation that was made to you. So don't try to go back and put yourself under bondage, under the law, but accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And I love how he phrases this. He says, because the fullness of time had come, meaning that the Father had determined that the time to be an heir was no more, and it's now time to take your inheritance. Here's what Paul is saying, that in the fullness of time, Jesus came as a babe. It was not an afterthought. I teach a class here at the university, Principles of Christian Faith, and whenever we talk about this situation of sin and Christ coming to redeem fallen man, I asked my students this question. I'm going to ask you the same question today. I'm not going to grade you on it, but I'm still going to ask it. And there is no extra credit. Is that clear? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, was God faced with a dilemma? Think about it before you respond. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, was God faced with a dilemma? I wish I had my... My Jeopardy music, I, I play it in class whenever I ask a question. Okay. What's your answer? 
Some say no. Who says yes? God was faced with the dilemma. I see a few hands going up. Here's how you need to answer the question. You first have to know what a dilemma is. Here's the definition of a dilemma. It is a situation in which the person is faced with two equally undesirable alternatives. Or as my mother who didn't graduate from high school used to say, it's when you find yourself caught between a rock and a hard place. Some of you are showing your age. I said that to my class and they go, uh, Pastor, what are you talking about? Some of us are caught between a rock and a hard place. What's a rock? Thank you. It's a hard place. So if I go over here to the rock, what do I have? A hard place. When I go to the hard place, what do I have? Not a rock, a hard place. Come on, stay with me. So, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, was God caught between a rock and a hard place? No, because in the fullness of time meant God had a divine plan for this all along. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, it says that from the very foundation of the world, they had already decided that this plan would come to fruition. So when Paul says the fullness of time, what he's saying is the plan that was instituted in heaven has now come to humankind. And that's what brings my salvation and that's what brings your salvation. It's not the keeping of the law. And secondly, he said to those believers that he was sent at just the right time and he came in just the right manner. He was born of a woman subject to all the human frailties, evil and temptation that you and I are faced with, but still, still God because he was born of the virgin. Thirdly, Paul reminds us that Jesus was born under the law, meaning because he was born to a Jewish, of a Jewish mother in a Jewish culture, in a Jewish society, he had to be placed under those same laws that everyone else was placed under. But yet he kept each law perfectly, more than anyone else had and better than anyone else ever would, which meant then Jesus was uniquely qualified to be our savior. And as I looked at Galatians, which happens to be one of my favorite books of all scripture, and you know what my favorite book is. Don't tell them, Pastor Bridges, because you were here for first service. What's my favorite book in the Bible? Who said Habakkuk? Who said it? I have a gift for you afterwards. No, seriously, though, I do. It's in my pocket. But what Paul could have easily said without going through all of this he could have summed it up by saying this, Jesus was born to save. That's it. That's what the advent is all about. Jesus was born to save. Have you ever heard someone say, I was born to do this? Have you ever said that? What they're saying is the passion that I have for something along with the skill and ability to be able to execute it with such ease. It's like I was put on this earth to do just that. How many of you feel that what you are doing right now, you were born for this? Not too many of you. <laughs> You're getting the paycheck. I understand. I understand. But there's some people, when you watch what they do, when you, when you see the musicians who play in our orchestra from time to time, and, and, and those who played this morning in the steel pans, I don't, I don't know what makes this do what it does. 
but they do. They were born, I feel like they were born for this. And even in athletics, in sports, you see someone playing a particular sport, you can't do anything but stand back and go, they were born for this, like the greatest basketball player in history. Don't say LeBron James. Don't even think about saying LeBron James. The greatest basketball player of all times, MJ. That's all you have to say. Don't have to say his name, just say MJ. If you say LB, they don't know what you're talking about. But you say MJ, you talk about Michael Jordan as he would glide through the air. Michael Jordan would fly. It looked as though he was put on this earth to do just that. And what Paul is trying to get the Corinthian or the Galatian believers to understand, those who were both Gentiles coming into the faith and those who were Jews, listen, Jesus was born to do one thing, and that was to save you and me. Yes, he performed great miracles. Yes, he preached all inspiring messages, but he was born to save. And I don't want us to miss the fact that Jesus came into this world not as a full-grown adult, but as a babe. He could have easily come in his adulthood, but by doing so, he would have missed a lot of pain and heartache that children receive as they go through the various stages of life, adolescence, puberty, and all the rest. The bullying at school. Can you imagine Jesus being bullied in the schoolyard? And having to take it, knowing in his mind, all I have to do is go, and that's it. Let's not miss the fact that he came as a babe. Look at this quote from the, the Christian office in your sermon review, but I'm going to ask them to put it on the screen as well, Ann Voskamp, because she really articulates this idea of Jesus being born to save. She says, so God throws open the door of this world. Just, just listen to the language. And God throws open the door of this world and enters as a what? Baby, the most vulnerable imaginable because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God that wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us. Look at this last statement. What God, she asked, ever came so tender we could touch him, so fragile we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be hurt? And then she answers her own question. Only the one who loves you to death. Only the one who loves you to death. And here's your social media soundbite for the day. Don't put your leftover food from Thanksgiving on Facebook, social media. Here's what needs to go up on social media today. Here it is. You ready for it? Jesus was born to save so that he could love us to death. That's what the Advent is all about. Jesus was born to save so that he could love us to death.
And the Advent is about the love of God. Loved us so much, he came not just as one of us, he came as a baby, so vulnerable. But he came so that he could love us to death. And with all the talking that's going around this season, all of the activity that is associated with this season, the Black Fridays and the Cyber Mondays and all the other things, here's the message that should come from the lips and the heart of every believer. Jesus was born to save so that he could love us to death. That's what it's all about. And not just this season, but every season should be the advent in your heart and mind. Acknowledging that Jesus was born to save so that he could love me, he could love you, he could love us to death. Amen? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Born to Save. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Next week, we hope like you, we'll be spending Christmas with our loved ones. So in two weeks on December 30th, Simple Truths for Life will return. And as we look forward to the start of a new year, we hope you can plan to listen to a new message from Pastor Tap titled, Tried and Tested. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.